Sunday. Amen. And I appreciate him, and I appreciate his presence, and I, too, appreciate the year of 1986. Uh, it's been a confusing year in a sense, and I think Sister uh, Sheila was testifying that the furniture still in storage and didn't know what was going to happen, and that's almost the way we live for the past several years, is not knowing which direction God wants us to go, and yearning, you know, like everybody else, to find some place where we could just nestle in and be cozy, and yet finding a dissatisfaction unless we're in the presence of the Lord. And I thought, I think it was Monday, about little things that we just overlook in our life. We went home uh, Monday, Sunday night, and we was getting ready to give our guests something to drink and eat, and we opened the refrigerator door and the freezer doors, and there was nothing there. I mean, the ice had melted and everything else, and uh, I thought, well, <laughs> now what are we going to do? But we salvaged it, and then I got to thinking now, that's about another 800 or $1,000, and I have no way in the world that I can do that, and yet I can't be without one. We, that's a necessity anymore. It used to be a luxury, but it's a necessity I thought, God, what are we going to do? So we just let it rest that night and just prayed to God and got up the next morning, and I know a little bit about it, so I just got it out from the wall and searched around and looked, and, and nothing, not a thing. It just looked hopeless. And then I thought, well, why don't I just call somebody to come down and look at it just to be sure, but I'd already in my mind spent $1,000 I didn't have. And so I called Mr. St. Ives down here, is that his name, Eves or Ives? And he graciously came and looked at the refrigerator freezer and found just some little something wrong with it, and it cost $45. Now, that's a lot of money, but in comparison to $1,000, it's not very much. But the interesting part of it was this man was burdened. This man needed to talk. And if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have been able to talk to him. So $45 is not much money to spend to be able to talk to somebody. Now, I don't know his church affiliation, even if he has one or not, but I know he was burdened down. He had a lot of things on his mind, and he needed to share them with somebody, and we was handy, and we graciously did this, and he was just a different man when he left. So you see, God does, God does funny things, but the thing before that, and you won't mind standing now because you'll be sitting a long time, you don't mind standing, will you? All right. But before that, I think it was, when was it, Friday, that uh, I walked out to get the paper and noticed something in my mouth and pulled it out. It was part of a tooth that broke off and a filling had come out of it. And all the jagged edges there. And, of course, I thought, I thought well, there's another $100 or better at the best I can possibly do. So I weathered the storm until Monday. And we got into the dentist, couldn't get to the other den dentist, but got to his assistant and went in there at 5.30 Monday evening, and he worked for an hour and a half or two hours, and I could just hear the cash register click. <laughs> every, every minute it went by, it just rolled up, and I thought, I've got to have it done as he filled it, but I, but it had uh, decayed. It got under the uh, filling and decayed down in almost to the nerve, and so it was real slow and tedious work. And he got the job done, and, of course, he noticed on our card that we filled out that there was a minister and pastor and and uh, he and the lady there kept asking questions now it's hard to talk when they got their fish in your mouth and you're trying to tell them about the Lord 
But they kept asking questions, and as long as I could possibly could, I kept answering their questions. And uh, last but not least, he said, well, it's all over now except the painful part. And, of course, he was talking about the bill, and I knew what he was talking about. painful part was about to begin. But anyway, uh, when he walked out, he told the lady something. And when I got there and uh, got ready to pay the bill, why, well, he had cut 50% off of it. <laughs> so you see how, th- how God does things. It, it costs me a little money, but uh, to be able to just talk even with his fist in my mouth or his finger in my mouth, and even with my gums and my jaw swell till I... Uh, sounded like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> he I was still able to be able to be a, a witness and talk about the Lord. And I appreciate the graciousness of the individual as he, they were concerned. And then professional courtesy, he said, and just knocked 50% of the tab off. And, and so you see, all of these things work together. So it's not bad to serve the Lord, even if, the, even if you are out a little bit of money. And like I said, I was so pleased I could see $1,200 worth and the tooth and the refrigerator freezer and everything else to come out with a little better than 50 or 75. Not bad at all. It makes you feel like somebody gave me a gift. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's worship Him tonight a little bit. Give God honor and glory and thanksgiving. Fourth verse of the 21st chapter of St. Luke. Said, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any times your hearts be overcharged with suffering and drunkenness, Heirs of this life, so that that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always, that ye, may, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. Heavenly Father, in appreciation we stand before you. Thanking you, Father, for your divine love and for your guidance for your watchful care and for your tender mercy over this past year, for your leadership, Father, for sensitivity to thy spirit. We pray tonight, Father, that we might be able to speak words that would help us, that we could become stronger in you, become more rational as far as understanding your word, and Master, that we might just get a hold of your unchanging hand and walk in the pathways that you have outlined for us. We ask you, Father, to anoint our lives, to anoint your word, breathe upon it, and master anoint the ears of those who hear, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight Jesus was speaking. He had just wept over Jerusalem. He had just had his authority questioned. He had just been questioned about tribute money, and he had just answered the question. He talked about the witness might. And then he talked about some of the things as far as the course of this age is concerned. And on all of this, he talked about the destruction of Jerusalem. And then he talked about the return of the Lord in glory. And then he spoke concerning the fig tree. And then he begins to speak about something that in the midst of all of these things that he talked about, like signs in the sun and the moon and the stars... Earth, distress of nations, perplexities, and men's hearts failing them for fear, and all of these things, and all of those things that's coming to pass before he comes. And sometimes this portion of the scripture that I just read to you gets very little attention, but yet it's probably more pertinent than any of the things that he spoke concerning. And these are his words as he begins to end this chapter, and take heed to yourselves. 
Now in here he was talking to his disciples and his followers. Those who knew who he was, those that had experienced the power of his might, those that had uh, been called and followed him, and those that had saw miracles done by him, and those that had done miracles by the power of the Lord. And he was talking to them. And notice the warning there, as he said, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with sophiathing. Now, that in the Greek actually means uh, reveling or wild parties and drunkenness and cares of this life so that the day come upon you unawares. Now, for the most of us tonight, Jesus was listing probably one of the three most pertinent things that was going to be in the last days, presenting itself to humanity and probably, if we were not careful, would embrace a lot of individual Christians and destroy them from following God. And we don't have to worry about wild parties for the most of us. We recognize that we have no need for that. And certainly for the most part, most of us here don't have to worry about overindulgence in liquor and alcohol and that. And sometimes we feel as if maybe we're safe in those areas, and that's fine. But I want to call your attention to something that probably smacks home in all of our lives. Something so many times so overlooked and yet so desperately needed in our lives. And it said, the cares of this life. That you be not, your hearts be not overcharged with the cares of this life. Now Jesus knew that there's certain things in our lives, certain times in our life, and certain cares in our life that could not be avoided. Things that would come in our life that has to be met. Daily obligations that we owe it to ourselves to be good fathers and to be good mothers and, and to be good children and what have you. And, and all of these things are cares of this life. But there is a warning here as we enter into this new year that I would like for us to look at very honestly. I'd like to, us to make an assessment of our own lives and see if maybe in the midst of all this troubled world and this world that is going so fast, if perhaps we might not have been ensnared a little bit with overindulgence or overcharge with the cares of this life. And look at our lives and see if perhaps we might not have reached out into areas to reach things that was not beneficial in our life, that was not necessary in our life, that only created sometimes havoc and problems and trouble in our life. Now he goes on to say, now this is going to come as a snare. Everybody, of course, knows what a snare is. It's a type of a trap, but it's carefully hidden trap. Something that's laying there that you cannot see because it's been covered and it's carefully laid there to snare or to ensnare life. And he's warning us here that the day is going to come when this is going to be laid down as a snare upon all of those that dwell upon the face of the earth. And he was given warning here to individual Christians. I said before, as far as wild parties and orgies and that is concerned, uh, the world is going crazy over it. The powers of hell has ensnared them. And their pleasure mad and searching for more pleasure. And once they find that, there's no satisfaction. They go into deeper things. 
until finally life is ensnared and they're overcharged with it and they can't hardly live without it. And then there's drunkenness that they're just overcharged in the drunkenness until they give themselves over to alcohol and give themselves over to dope until there is no controlling their life. A snare has been set and individuals have fell in it. And of course we, for the most part, I would assume that most of us are immune to that. But you've noticed in that same category is a warning that we, if not careful, the snare will be laid for God's people and we may be overcharged. In other words, we will be burdened and pressed beyond measure of the cares of this life as we try to cope with this life, as we try to move without getting run over, as we try to be like everybody else, as we try to keep up with the Joneses, as we try to uh, reach one thing, and once we get that, then we grasp for something else. And so many things that are unnecessary. And he says, now, you watch for this. In other words, take a survey of our life. Look over your past year and see if maybe God hasn't been robbed of some time while we have been overcharged and pressed beyond measure and burdened down with cares of this life that's been piled upon us when there was no reason for them to be there. Is that the devil? When there was no reason for them to be there. And he says, take stock of yourself. In other words, begin to look around. And I thought, as far as the new year was concerned, it's always good to look forward to a new year, but it's always good to look back over the past year. And I think somebody's already said it. See if we have had to drive stakes to see if we were moving. Or see if we've had to drive stakes to see if we have progressed. Or have we been caught with a snare? A carefully conceived plan of the devil so that that day comes upon us unawares. The Bible tells us to watch. Tells us to look around and then pray always that we may be accounted worthy to escape all these things. Now, he'd already ended the subject on the parable of fig tree. He'd already ended his subject on the return of the Lord in glory. So he's telling us that we need to watch and pray that we can escape being ensnared by these wild orgies and parties and being ensnared by the drunkenness that he could see coming upon our world as it's come upon the world today and be snared by the cares of this world. I'm going to say it again. Everybody knows that there are certain cares that have to be taken care of. Certain things in our life that have to be. We have to make the best that we can out of our job. We have to do the best we can. We need to provide perhaps the best home we can provide. Uh, roof over our head. Uh, clothes on our back. And all of these things. And these are natural cares that individuals ought to be concerned about in their life. But Jesus was warning about cares that's put upon us because we're reaching for something outside of God. And we're reaching for something in our life that burdens us down. How many individuals, and could I talk truthfully with you tonight because I've been there, how many simply have spent sometimes more than they have earned? and placed a burden upon themselves and the cares of this life upon themselves until it presses them beyond measure. 
And if we're not careful, we'll be taking what belongs to God to pay honest bills in our life that should never have been made because we were not aware of the carefully divine snare of, of Satan or the snare of Satan that ensnares us and burdens us down with cares that should never belong to God's people. And he tells us to watch for those things. To search our lives and see if there's an overabundance of things we're reaching for and striving for. I thought as I read that, and I, now I have dealt with this one particular thing, I think once or twice, but something about my mind this evening, it wouldn't let me get away from it. You're going to find it in the 14th chapter of Luke, and I'm not going to take time to read it, but there's a parable of a great supper there. And according to most of the commentaries and references, uh, this is really not the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is just the great supper. And this is given by a benefactor. Now, the reference in Van Rubin's book of ancient customs, and a certain man mentioned in this 16th verse of that 14th chapter was the benefactor of all those that were bidden to this supper as you read that. In other words, he was directly responsible for the success and the position of all of these that he was bidding to a supper. In other words, you can see it here, it was the custom at the time desired that the benefactor, as he so desired, could make a great feast. And he could set a time for those he had helped to honor him. And this is the setting of this parable. Now, it was inserted in there so we could make a reverence to God Almighty. Because he is the benefactor of every one of us that's sitting here. Is that not right? Because of our position, our success in life, and what we have in God is because of God himself. Not because of anything we have done. A labor of our hands would mean nothing except God would blow upon that and make it become alive. And so he's letting us see that, that any time God gets ready, any time it pleases him, then he sends out a bidding and asks us to come to a feast. Now whether that feast be in the house of God, or whether that feast be in our own home with Bible reading, uh, whether that feast be in a home Bible study, or uh, whether that feast would be down on our knees with prayer at God's bidding. As Brother uh, uh, Roushey has said, when that little buzzer and that little trigger goes off and God speaks to your life and He says, I've got a meal for you. I'm your benefactor and I want to call you to a great meal, some place where you can honor me. In other words, God loves honor, doesn't He? And he likes to bring us into places where we can honor him. And it was the custom at that time. And Jesus is using that for us to see that God Almighty has set before us a feast. Has asked us to come to a feast. I don't know whether it had reference to a church necessarily, but there is feast in the house of God. We feast on the songs, and we feast on the testimonies, and we feast on the word of God. But there are times alone by ourselves that God triggers something in us and says, I want you to come, get into my word, and when you do, you'll be honoring me, and I want to feed you something. And I want you to get out on your knees, and I'm going to feed you something. And when we do that, we are honoring God. But as always, if you notice in the parable, men are willing to take. Now we are, God's our benefactor, 
Everything we have is because of Him. There's not a one of us here tonight that has a thing outside of God. He has given us that. He has given us our position in Him as child of a living God. He has made us successful in our life and in our ways. And He's responsible for everything that we are. And He calls us. And sometimes we're just willing to take that position in God. We're willing to accept that honor, but, but to give honor to Him. At the time He calls for it is another thing. You see, the setting was left there, and it was left up to God. Not up to us, but it was left up to God as to when He wants honor and to when He wants praise. And He was asking these people to come, and He said, I've got a feast all made for you. Now this meal was the, this supper was the evening meal, a great meal, one of the most nourishing meals of the day. And those that were bidden, this was their second invitation. You almost glean from that, that the first invitation had already been accepted, they had already promised they'd be there. Now let's take it in our lives. When Christ invited us to come into His divine presence, and we came, and we enjoyed the benefits from God. The power of the Holy Ghost in our life, we enjoyed it. Baptism in Jesus' name, we enjoyed it. Forgiveness of sins, we enjoyed it. Time and time and time again, we enjoyed that. And God tells us to come, and we accepted that first invitation. We said, yes, Lord, whatever you ask me to do, whenever you ask me to do it, I'll do it. I doubt if there's one saint here when we came to Christ, but what said those words? And now it's been a little while. And the second invitation has been given. And to refuse the second summons would be an insult equivalent to a declaration of war. And so what do they do? Let's see if we can find ourselves in here, all right? Let's just get our mirror before our face and let's begin to see if we can find ourselves in here. And they all with one consent begin to make excuses. Now let me point this out to you. And you're going to look at it and say, what's wrong with those people? But if we can get ourselves in that situation, maybe we won't be so hard on them. Here is an individual that set forth a feast. Now these individuals wasn't required to bring a thing to that feast. <laughs> Amen? All they had to do is bring themselves. God had supplied everything else and set the banqueting table and says, all I need is you. Amen. And what a feast that was. And let's look at it this way. Time and time again, God has set before us nourishing spiritual things in our life. He has told us if we can get in prayer, He will feed the Spirit. And if we get into the Word of God, He'll feed the Spirit. Or if we can get into the house of God, He'll feed the Spirit. You need bring nothing but yourselves. Now we look at that and think, what type of men, women, boys, and girls do we have here? Individuals that God is responsible for everything they have. Sometimes we wonder what's wrong with mankind in that picture. 
But yet sometimes if we realize Jesus is telling that parable to us so we can look at ourselves. Our benefactor is Jesus Christ. He suffered, bled, and died for us and give us salvation and the power of the Holy Spirit. Divinity come into humanity by His power. And He furnishes us good things. Hallelujah. Good things. The bread of life. The flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. Eating of His flesh. And great things. And He says, all I'm asking you to do is just come. But you notice they did not make their own schedule. And neither can we. But friend, again, back to what I just read. Cares of this life overcharged with them will cause us to want to make our own schedule in the meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, Brother Hoskall. But he said, I've set aside a day. You said you would come. And now here's the invitation. The date is set and I want you to come. But they wasn't ready. And so what do you do when your will clashes with God's. What do we do? Same thing they did. We start to make excuses. Amen? We start to rationalize a little bit and we start telling God all the reasons that we can't come to His great supper. Now if you'll notice these individuals, well, excuses, uh, specimens, of all excuses is the care of this world, deceitful in the riches and the pleasures of this life. And so each one of them is found in this parable. Excuses and individuals who belong to God, who God was responsible for, who had said that they would do whatever God wanted them to do, and they'd honor Him and feast at His table any time, and now He set a date. He set a time. And of course, his time clashes with theirs. It's not news yet today, is it? God's time usually clashes with ours. But that's why Jesus was telling us to keep your minds clear. Keep the cares of this life from robbing you of God's time. Because you don't know when God is going to call you to But he asked you to do it his way, his time. And so here they are. And they've got excuses. Now, each one is different. But all of them have the same results. What they're really saying is this. We have other things that's too pressing to leave. Now, why did they? Because they were overcharged. They were overindulging. They had their hands in things they didn't need to be and their feet in paths they didn't need to be walking in. And so naturally they had obligations. Obligations that they thought could not wait. And yet, God being not a sadistic God, was fully aware that they could have, had they not found themselves overcharged with the cares of this life. 
Now, they didn't say we've got to go get drunk. They didn't say that uh, we're going to go out here and commit adultery. They didn't say we're going to do bad things. But they used excuses that they was almost positive would hold up in God's eyes. They used biblical excuses. Would you like to look at some of those biblical excuses? One came and said, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. In other words, God, I, I, I appreciate everything you've done. I really do. But you see, I'm in this world and I have certain obligations in this world that I have to fulfill. And God, if you'll just excuse me, because I bought me a piece of ground. Now then, that's a parcel of ground. That's a building lot. That's what he's talking about. And Proverbs 24 and 27 begins to tell us what good builder wouldn't want to see uh, that and make plans for his building. In other words, it's just common sense that if we need to look at the lot, we need to see what it looks like. And we need to see if we can landscape it. And we need to see if it's sitting in a swamp. And we need to see if it'd be fit to, to build a building on. And that excuse is all right. But why do it on God's time? You see, someplace, somewhere, they had been robbed of time that should have been theirs, and now they were infringing upon God's time. Hear it now. They made a good excuse and would have worked had they not been pressed down with cares of this life. And why at the time of an invitation? You can clearly see there, if you're looking, that the cares of life had taken his time and he should have seen it on his own time. And then another said, I bought me five yoke of oxen. Now, isn't anything wrong with being a good businessman? Nothing wrong with that at all. But he said, now I've got to go prove these oxen. And sure he does. He's got to prove, in other words, that Greek word is dokai, and he's got to prove the sale. In other words, his servant had went, and he had more or less made the deal, but no deal is finalized until the owner comes and approves the deal. And so he's saying there, now look, my servant has already made type of a deal for five auctions, and I've got to go approve that deal. Nothing wrong with that, other than he was wanting to do it on God's time. God had already set the time. God had already set his plate. He had already accepted the first invitation and cares of this life and deceitfulness of things carefully laid snare. Carefully laid. And he just said, God, well, let's put it in everyday terms. God, I know that you are a compassionate God. I know you love me. And I know that you understand all about me. I know you do, Lord, because you love me. And I know that you're just going to understand 
the mess I got myself in. I just know you will, God, because you are merciful. How many have said, testified about the mercy of God? How many have said, and God knows my heart? Yes, He does. I said, yes, He does. Oh, yes, He does. More than you can imagine, He does. And we stand there in the good graces of God in everyday language and say, God, I'm really sorry. But right now, I just don't have time to get into Your Word and eat. I know it would be good, God. I realize it would be. I really don't have time to pray and let You bless me and feed me. I really just don't have the time to go to the house of God tonight. I won't miss too much, will I, Lord? <laughs> well, maybe you won't. <laughs> it all depends on your outlook of what is good in your life. But anything that comes from God's Word should be of peace to us. And yet they're saying, now God, if you'll just excuse me now and make it another time. In other words, who becomes the ruler here? What's that trying to tell us? It's trying to tell us that mankind is trying to worship his way and his authority over Almighty God. And so that makes man God and God the servant. And we've all used him like that, haven't we? We're entering into 1987 and there's going to be more pressure upon the lives of individual saints of God than ever before. We're going to be cast into a world that's grasping, that's reaching, that's trying to reach. And we're going to be struggling to keep our head above water, and we're going to look around and wonder why so-and-so can do something and we can't. And all the time God is trying to tell us that I've got something better for you than any man can ever give you. And anything you can ever imagine from this earth, I've got it better for you. And so they're saying, God, I've got to do this. They're not saying they wouldn't come. They're just saying, not at this time. All right? We don't ever tell God we won't do it. We just tell Him, not right now, we can't. Amen? We just say, God, I know you'll understand, and tomorrow I'll do it. And the next day I'll do it, and sometimes years go by and we never do it. And the reason we don't is because God wanted it done right then. Tomorrow wasn't any good for Him. The invitation had been rejected. It was an insult to God. Just almost a declaration of war. When we promised Him we'd do whatever He wanted us to do, and we'd honor Him whenever He called on us to honor Him, and He calls and says, I've got a peace for you. It's not going to cost you a thing. Just obedience. That's all. And so the next one comes and said, I've married me a wife. <laughs> That's a real good excuse. I've married me a wife. Now, God honored marriage, didn't He? You know He did, and I know He did. He honored marriage. But what a good way to start a marriage than in the house of God. But the Bible does tell us that a person should have some time off to cheer up his wife, a year off, I think, in Deuteronomy, to cheer up his wife. And so this was a practical excuse. But you've got to remember this. God has left it open 
for you and I to be subject to Him. He is asking us to keep our lives so unencumbered with the things of this world so that when He asks something, we will be ready to do it. And we will just love to do it. And so here they are, pleasures of this life. Three excuses, which is manifesting of almost all of them. And uh, so they put them there. And a heavenly kind Father, who is our God, understood it all, and said, that'll be just fine. There'll be other times that I can have a feast for you. So you just go on and do your thing. And whenever you get ready, you tell me when you're ready, and then I'll have a feast. Now, I just changed the Scripture, didn't I? Amen? Now, I want you to notice how continually dangerous this is, and we don't realize. going to come. Paraphrasing it. And then he told the Lord all the excuses they gave. And the master of the house, which is our Savior, which is our benefactor, being angry. You said, would God get angry? He had been insulted. God gets angry when we insult Him. We insult His divinity. We insult His power. We insult His sovereignty. In other words, we insult Him when we tell Him we are the master of our own lives. I'll tell you when I want to come to your feast. I'll tell you when I want to eat at your table. I'll tell you when I'm ready. And God became angry. And He said, Yeah, you go out quickly into the lanes, not jack lanes, but into the lanes, <laughs> and into the highways, and the streets, and you bring here to the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. In other words, he's saying, listen, what I've got to offer humanity can't be wasted on individuals that don't desire to have it. The power that I have and being their benefactor and the honor that I want from them and they could easily give to me can't be wasted on individuals who continually want to live their own life their way. But he says, now, I'm going to have to have praise, boys. I've got to have praise. So you get into the highways and hedges, into the byways, you go into the streets and the alleys and you bid some of the others and tell them the feast is already set. I've already got it set. And I don't want anything to ruin. My grace is still good. And people are not partakers of it. My people have refused me. So he said, you go in and get all of them. And the servant came and said, I did that. And there's still room. Now I want you to imagine what a great congregation of individuals God had planned on feeding. Think of the saints of God that 
congregate and fill every house of God on times they want to, and pray in areas and times they want to pray, and get into God's Word at times they find their time to get into God's Word, and He had prepared to feed. And He goes out and gets those that scattered abroad. Those perhaps included drunkards, alcoholics, dope addicts, maimed and halt and uh, prostitutes and poor individuals that never had a chance. And God said, you call them, they'll come. They'll come, why? Because they're hungry. Hungry, Brother Buford. Hungry. Individuals that can sit and listen to simple words of God for an hour and a half or two hours and still want you to be there. Friend, they're hungry. How God's people who should have been shouting around the throne of glory has moved about with the cares of their own life and are refusing the thing that God has said was theirs. And individuals out here are hungry. They said, yes, we'll come. We'll come when you want us to come. Amen. 1987 is going to be a hard year. It's going to be hard on God's people. Hard on those of us that have known God for a long time. Because as Brother Donnie said, we've played church. We've piped to one another. We've scratched one another's back. We have just done or said whatever we got ready. And if the thing pleased us and the theme of it was good for us, then we was part of it. If not, we would send an excuse. Didn't hold up. Didn't hold up at all. But at the same time, there are those that's been in darkness. And has never cracked the Word of God, never thought they had to. All right? Has never delved a bit of knee in prayer because they didn't know they had to. And God is working on those hearts inside and making them hungry. So when He calls, they're going to say, Yes, we'll sit down at your table and we will honor you. And listen to what he says. Now I want to lay heavy on you. Because I think God's talking to us. And he said, For I say unto you, that none of those men which are bidden shall taste of my supper. In other words, here is a very important sustaining meal that should, have, that should mean the difference between death and life tomorrow. That has been missed by those who received the first invitation. Those whom God gathered together and filled with His Spirit and they repented and they were cleansed by His power and baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost that said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And He's called and He's bidden and He's sent out invitations and excuse after excuse has come until God says, leave them set. Leave them do their thing. And I've got a meal and don't intend for it to spoil. And you go out and you compel. You compel. What do you mean? Make somebody? I think God's people and God's messengers ought to be so potent and so powerful that the Word of God would simply compel individuals to come and find out what's at God's table. And he says, I want my house to be filled. But the sad note about that was this.
had those that had received the first invitation had insulted God by refusing the second. Then taste of that supper. Now you can draw your own conclusions to that. A lot of individuals preach it and they went to hell. I'm not so sure they went to hell. I'm just trying to say that some great things, power of their lives, strength, spiritual strength in their life was missed. Because they missed a nourishing meal. That could have meant power for them. Sustaining force for them. And these individuals out here that was hungry accepted and got what should have been ours. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God. I said thank God. Thank God for His blessings. And thank God for His power. There is another scripture I want to deal with. Now, Brother Donnie said if he anybody fell asleep, broke their neck, he'd take care of it. Alright? So I'm dependent on him. You look around. And if anybody starts nodding... Just kind of peck them on the head because I, th- I think this is necessary. Yes. Now we have an account of Mary and Martha that's in contrast that's found in the 10th chapter, 38th verse. Where it says, Come to pass as they went. They entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now you look at that contrast, and on the surface it looks like anything wrong. There were certain cares that had to be taken care of. I'm talking about cares of this life. Overindulgence in these things. And there's certain things that had to be. 
And Jesus knew that. But notice he said, Now Martha, you're very careful or you're very anxious. And you're very nervous inside here. You're blustering around here. And you're becoming nervous and then outwardly you're very troubled over what this individual's doing. And he said, Martha, you're wrong now. One thing is needful. Now, there's a lot of interpretations to that. But I think he was just actually trying to say, look, you're trying to be pompous. You're trying to make a great big feast for me. And just one little dish would suffice me. And what he's trying to say is what he's trying to say today. Quit blustering about trying to do material things to please God. Why don't you sit down at the feet of Jesus and find yourself at a learning place in Him? Amen. 